podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Face Off. This is the post Leicester match, and uh, it was a, it was a tough fought victory again. I've said that the last few weeks in a row, but again a victory for the Reds, getting tougher by the week. But uh, I'll intru- I'll introduce my guest before we get into the uh, topics. I've got Mark Roberts, who's been on a couple of pods with me. How are you doing, Mark? Hi, guy. How are you doing? You're right. I am good, man. I'm good. And the gracious Leicester Leicester fan who is joining us, you heard him on the preview pod, is James Sharp. How are you doing, James? I'm good. I'm disappointed, if not encouraged, which we'll get on to. We'll get on to that. But hopefully, hopefully it's not too, not too uh, depressing this pod. But I think Leicester showed themselves in a good light yesterday. But we'll get to that. So we'll start. We'll start with the boring bit of the starting elevens, like we do every week. And um, James, I'll start with you on this one. Um, Pereira was obviously playing right wing in, in the previous games. I didn't realise this was a, a home and away split thing. I think they mentioned it in commentary beforehand. And then um, you didn't play a striker either with uh, Damari Gray playing up front. I mean, what were your thoughts on the starting eleven? Um, it was going to be interesting to see. I've not really thought about it in a, in a home and away thing for um, Pereira at wing or right back. Um I, thought, I think we expected Pereira to play it right back because while he's still attacking, mm. the whole idea of Daniel Amati at right back against the likes of Salah and Mane <laughs> filled Leicester fans with quite a bit of dread. Um, so that that was to be expected that Pereira would drop back. In terms of up front, now I've been trying to argue with Leicester fans over the weekend about this with the idea that Leicester were playing no recognised striker. Now, fans might see it that way, and, and people from outside might see it that way. In Claude Puel's mind, he was playing with a striker, because mm. he sees Damari Gray as being a striker, which is being a winger. He played him there in pre-season. Oh, right. He's, uh, Gray's played there for England under-21s, but never really for Leicester until this pre-season and this season under Puel. Puel said in the last couple of weeks when we asked him about it, that he thinks Ty Gray has all the attributes to play up front. Now, it, we expected it to be Colette Giannaccio to start up front with Jamie Vardy being being suspended, but Giannaccio hadn't, when he had had his chances against United, um, against Southampton, even in the cup against Fleetwood when he did score, didn't really take his chance much and didn't look as impressive as he had been in pre-season where he scored four goals in three games. So I think from Puel's mind, it was, well, Ian actually had his chance of not taking it, and so now it's Gray's turn. And so he played Gray up front. Um, well, I'm sure we'll get to the performance in a bit, but in terms of surprise, yeah, it was surprising that Gray played, but in Puel's mind, he was playing as a striker because he feels that he is a striker. Well, that's quite interesting, but we'll, we'll get to we'll focus on Damari Gray a bit because I think he is quite a... Uh... A player that's worth discussing, because I think in terms of the England squad as well, there's high hope from in, in that regard as well. Mm. But uh, Mark, coming to you, obviously just the one change for Liverpool, and we'll we'll get into individual performances. But before kick off, what were your thoughts in, in the fact that Cater got rotated out for Henderson? Shall we say it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. After the first three games, keeping the same eleven for the for the first three games, obviously the three wins and the three clean sheets. So I didn't expect a change, but if you were going to see a change, it's probably the least surprising one. You wouldn't have really expected any of the front three to be rotated, rested this early mm. on in the season. And again, the defence, there isn't many options. There. I suppose Matip is now back to fitness. But again, with a free clean sheet, you wouldn't have expected any substitution there. So it would have been the midfield. If somebody said beforehand, there's going to be one change, I think everybody would have predicted it would have been the midfield, but for me, if it was going to be the midfield, I would have probably thought Milner mm. would have been the one to drop out rather than Cater, where Milner's a bit older and 
he was looking tired the week before, but then Naby was hooked off after what sixty sixty five yeah. against Brighton. So with hindsight, it probably wasn't a big surprise. But then the first two two and a half games, Naby had been one of our better midfielders. But so yeah, a bit shocked, but not shocked as well if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I kind of get you. Um, we'll we'll talk about the. Well, let's say impact of Henderson and, yes. and, the, and the midfield as a whole. Let's not just focus on Henderson, but we'll, we'll get to we'll get to the midfield no, in but, a bit. But yeah, I think that, that if there was going to be one change, I think everybody yeah, would have yeah. predicted it would have been a midfielder. Absolutely. But maybe maybe not necessarily. Naby would have been the one people would have chose. But that's why Klopp's paid the big bucks, I suppose. Very true. Very true. Um, but goodness. Um, I'll, I'll say it now, but I don't ever want to see uh, Naby Keita not in the midfield again. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on to the first couple moments of the game, and obviously it was quite a, a strongish start for uh, for Liverpool. And I'll, I'll stick with you on this one, Mark. Um, obviously, Bobby gets the first chance, and then Smeichel makes a decent save, and it was probably a poor finish as well. And then Moore misses the the rebound as well. So what what were your what were your thoughts on the chance? I mean, do you think Bobby should have scored first, and then Moore should have definitely scored? Uh, yeah, I think you've summed that up very well there. To be honest, I think if that's game ten of the season and Bobby's got a few goals under his belt, it's a more confident finish, and it's it's in the corner, and he's not giving Schmeichel an opportunity to make the save. It was still a good save. Don't get me wrong, and some lesser keepers probably wouldn't have made the save, but. It was a comfortable enough save for Schmeichel, but Salah's follow-up, that's even this early in the season, he's still scored a couple. He's playing fairly well, Salah. You'd expect that to be in the back of the net, no mm. doubt. It was it was a shock when he didn't go in, but yeah, didn't, didn't, don't expect that from, from either of our, the two of them, to be honest. Yeah. The form they showed the back end all, all season last season, not just the back end. Chances like that were being put away, and that's why they were so prolific and so feared. And to create a chance as good as that that early on in a tough away game, you've got to be putting them away at least one, if not both of them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why, why do you think they did? They both did miss the chances. I think Bobby, you can kind of say a touch out of form, but Salah's still. I think he's got the joint most chances created in the league. Do you think he's just maybe someone in front of goal or something? Possibly, yeah. As you say, I think with Bobby, it's he has had a, a poor start to the season, and I use poor very loosely because he's still playing reasonably well. There's been sort of no cause to drop him or rest him by any means, but by the high standards he set himself, it hasn't been a prolific start to the season. So maybe just desperate to get off a off a mark, get his first for the season. Marnie's firing and had already scored a few. Salah had already. scored scored a couple so probably rushed the chance a bit more than he would have done but but Salah I just can't I just can't comprehend him missing a chance like that it's just it's just so unlike him he's as I say he started the season well the finish last week against Brighton should have given him the confidence maybe maybe he was shocked that Bobby missed and it came to him and he wasn't expecting to come to him and then it was just a rushed finish because he still had plenty of room alongside him and if you look at some of the goals he scored last year, that, that one against Watford when he had four or five defenders around yeah. him and he squeezed that in to have a chance like that from a similar distance out and, and not even find a target. Again, if Schmeichel would have saved it, it would have been a people would have been annoyed that he didn't put it in away. But to have a chance like that and not even hit the target, you we've come to expect better, haven't we, from Salah? Whether we're well lucky and other other teams have strikers like that that do miss chances like that, mm. and whether we've been spoiled to bet and ours more often than not don't and and take those chances. It's yeah, it was a shock, but thankfully, and we'll come on to it later. It didn't cost us in the end, but against a t- next away game, Tottenham away, chances are going to be fewer and far between. So you can't be passing up opportunities like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and James, from from your perspective, I mean, I think. It's fair to say Liverpool have done this in the past, and we've gone on to to blow teams away. Was there was there a sense of worry that that may have been happening in this game, or were you kind of confident your defence had kind of regroup? Um, no. Um, it, it, the problem that Leicester have had all season so far is that they've started games horrendously slowly. Mm. United, Daniel Lamar to give away a penalty inside the first two minutes. Um, it was Wolves at home. 
Wolves at the post three times, t- twice in the first 10 minutes, and had a shot cleared off the line. And then Leicester went on to win the game. Against Southampton, Leicester had to come from behind to win. So we've been talking about it all all season so far, is how slowly Leicester started the game. And then to see against Liverpool, of all teams, you can't afford to do that because usually they are so ruthless, especially with the likes of Salah and Mane. So then to see Leicester get carved open with basically just three passes, really. And then as soon as the, the rebound falls to Salah, I mean, in the, sat in the press box, I was already putting my head down and making a note of the first goal going in. So it was a surprise that he missed it, but it was a bit of a sense of, oh, no, not again, from a Leicester point of view, when it came to the slow start. And why do you think those slow starts are happening? Do you think it's maybe systemic, or do you think it's just players getting in the swing of the season? What what do you reckon it is? I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, Prowl's talked about how he, his team need to improve the kickoff, like literally the kickoff. Okay. And I mean, yeah. Uh, Maybe Andy Gray was main... right about the kickoff. I coach. know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when I was, uh, he spoke about it again at the weekend, and I thought, oh, well, maybe he has got a point after all. Maybe, maybe Andy Gray can have a, can have a job. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the big question, for Lester, because their their second half performances have all have all been really good, and in all the games, and a lot of the time they're either chasing it or have been let off the hook. Now, I don't know whether that is something I say would like to do with the system or whether it's a, a mindset with, with this group of young players. I don't know. But that is the thing that Leicester need to sort out if they are going to fulfil their potential this season because they've got a lot of talent in there, a lot of young talent, and in general they are playing well, but they can't afford to keep giving away such slow starts, especially against teams that will punish you, like Liverpool. Mm, yeah. Well, just to build on to that point, we'll come at the first goal, because I, well, I think that was on the 10th minute or so. I mean, from from a Leicester point of view, it was both unlucky, and I'd, I'd have to say bad defending, especially on Ricardo Pereira's uh, point of view. But Maguire was obviously quite unlucky, but do you, do you think Pereira is... He's obviously known for his attacking play, but do you think he's just got to learn... What the Premier League's think, about attacking one? Yeah, I think he's got to learn that in the Premier League, players will run, players will just run into you mm. and knock you over if you aren't strong enough. And I think that that was a bit of a wake up call for him. I think he was a little bit. Uh, I think he expected to get a free kick for that, and he might have got it yeah. playing in other countries, um, but not not over here. Uh, you're right. At the time, we thought. It's a bit of a case of both unlucky and also poor defensively. And I think, I guess, if you're if you're sitting, if you're a glass half empty kind of person, you would say, well, Leicester got what they deserve for bad defending. Whereas some might say, well, I think Maguire's a little bit unfortunate to make the clearance and then see it bobble against Mane's shin and then push put Mane through. So from that sense, it was probably a shade unfortunate and probably undeserved, but. Like you say, the way that Liverpool had started and the way that Leicester were looking a little bit shaky in the face of their their strong start, I think it would be difficult to argue that Liverpool didn't deserve to go ahead. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair enough. And Mark, coming to you, um, obviously Mane does very well, but I think it's fair to say that this goal was all about Robertson's determination and willing to get forward. Yeah, they're building up a good relationship down the left, and obviously the three games previous we've had Cater involved in that as well, who was missing. But you've you've both summed it up very well, really. It was good for Robertson, good strength, good determination. But if that's Chilwell attacking Trent, we're all really really disappointed with Trent for letting yeah. him get through as easy as easy as he did almost. It's but sort of the the opposite of what we've just said about Bobby Marley's obviously started the season on fire, he ended the season on fire, Demard and Lux and breaks up at a difference really, he was lucky with the way it landed for him but the form he's in, as soon as it had dropped for him in a box like that there's no doubt that he's putting that away he's not giving Schmeichel a chance, he's not miss, He's not going to not hit the targets it's, he's in the box, he's on He's on form, he's confident and a chance like that, you're going to bury all day every day in Mane's form and he did but yeah, as you both said, it's a bit, a bit of both, really, wasn't it? Good determination, good strength from Robertson, poor defending 
from Leicester, the right back, but then a bit of bit of luck for Mane and a bit of bad luck for Maguire, but them at a breaks and it's little things like that that can make a big impact over the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the, as you said, the form Mane said, I know he had a bit of a, a bit of a quiet one against Brighton, but he started off so well and he looks like he's got a, a point to prove with, with Salah coming in, maybe overshadowing him a bit, but he started off the season so well and it's kind of reminiscent to his first season. But no, I think it's from both perspectives, good and bad, obviously. But, um, We'll move on from the goal, uh, because we do have quite a bit to get through, even though it was only 2-1, but it was quite eventful. But we kind of mentioned him in the starting starting 11s, and, and James, um, Damari Gray has a chance, and it kind, of, it kind of goes through Joe Gomez's legs, and Allison makes a decent save. And I, I didn't realise um, he was he was thought of as a, as a striker, but, I mean, overall, do, do, you, do you think he impressed, or do you think it was just a bit of a tough game for him to impress? It, it was, and I think if you're Damari Gray, it, the one the one game or eight one game in the first four games that you're going to have the toughest time is certainly against against Liverpool. We were saying in the press box literally about 30 seconds before Gray had that shot saved, we were talking about how not only is Jamie Vardy's record against Liverpool obscene. But this is the it's the perfect game for Vardy, and also in terms of games where Vardy would be missed, mm. Liverpool would be high up on the list in terms of the pressing and allowing Leicester to counter and get Vardy in the channels. Whereas Gray isn't isn't really that kind of striker, so he's always going to struggle to get to get the better of of, of Gomez and and of Van Dijk. And I know Puel sees him as a striker. I know he sees himself as a striker. The fans certainly don't, especially the fans that I've um, been interacting with on social media over the weekend. They don't see him as a striker. He, he needs he needs experience. They, he doesn't make those kind of instinctive, natural runs that strikers make, that Vardy makes. And he's not exactly the most clinical in front of goal. He's only scored, I think, six or seven goals in his 101, 102 appearances for Leicester, mm. which isn't a great um, attribute for, for a striker. So it, it, it's a position that he's learning and he's got to learn and he's got to have more experience in. Playing against Liverpool, who are on, who are playing so well in the Premier League, isn't isn't the easiest of baptisms for him. So I always felt that it was going to be a difficult game for him to have as big an impact on it as he would probably have hoped. That said, uh, when he moved out wide, I thought he, he he played a bit better and linked the play a bit more effectively. I also didn't appreciate how good that save was by Allison until I watched it back after I got home. Um, I thought it was a bit pretty like Bog Sanders save, but it is, it is away from his body and quite low down, so that was quite impressive. But no, it, it's a typical game for Gray, especially for someone who's only, who's only really who's young and learning that position. I feel that it was always going to be a tough test and it, it it still it raised more questions about him in that position than it answered. I think. How, how do you think he's done over the season? Because is this I'm right in saying this is his first game playing up front in the Premier League, is it? Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Certainly, I know he went up there when when Vardy got sent off and Leicester went down to ten men against Wolves. Gray went up front for a short while in that game, but that felt like more of a of a stopgap. Mm. Um, to, to see the game out whereas in pre-season when Iheanacho was away at the World Cup and Vardy was away at the World Cup Gray had a real chance to and uh, Shinji Okazaki was also away at the World Cup Gray had a lot of time to, to play there in the pre-season friendlies and, and try and mould his game there um, but that's not really didn't really translate into the game against Liverpool like I say I think while well, well season having a future there I think that is probably the right word to describe it. It's a, it's a future there. It's not really a, a, a present position mm. for him, especially when it comes to big games like Liverpool at home. I think fans would probably prefer to have seen Ian Acho there. Well, we all would have preferred to see Vardy there, but obviously he was unavailable. At the minute, I still think Gray is, is more effective out wide, um, using his skills to cut in off there. But Puel has his faith in him, and he'll probably give him more minutes in the central position um, later on in the season. 
So, so long term, from from a fan's perspective, do you think any of that the Let's say Vardy replay. I know he's getting on a bit, but he does. He looks like one of these players who could play forever. But do you think Indian yeah. is the long-term successor more than Gray? Yeah, well, that that's the that is the that's what you you think, and that's the the initial gut feeling is yes. If Gray can make a rapid development in that position, potentially, unless of course when we come to January and then maybe next summer, if Twelve thinks that he's not got enough strikers, he might look to sign another one. Mm. But but Leicester have always struggled with signing replacement strikers because they only ever play with one, and that mm-hmm. one is always Vardy, so no one else ever gets a chance to settle in. We saw that with Ahmed Moussa, who came over um, from CSK Moscow. He scored an absolute worldie in pre-season a few years ago against Barcelona, but then because he never gets a run in the side, because Vardy's the main man and Vardy's always there, it's difficult to get up to speed with the Premier League, and he's now no longer at the club. Slomani struggled to, to fit in with kind of style and also mm. he's not Jamie Vardy that's the problem that anyone replacing Vardy will have is because he, he's not him and he is so crucial to our Leicester play and he is their talisman so if Vardy's available Vardy plays so trying to develop a replacement is difficult to do that when they haven't got the game time that being said Inacho is probably the one who they will look to to score Vardy's goals when he's not there Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, and Mark, uh, from our perspective with that chance, I mean, it's, we'll, we'll get to Alisson a bit later on specifically, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's good to see him making good saves again, isn't it? Because I mean, the Brighton one was probably a bit easy, but I think this one's more impressive, even though it's gone under the radar for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just, just to go back to Vardy, I was listening to the, to the preview show Harry did with Umar, and Umar was saying he was disappointed that Vardy wasn't playing. I certainly wasn't the record <laughs> Vardy. Not against like not just against Liverpool, against the whole top six, but he's a menace, he's a pest. And I, I was delighted he wasn't playing and I think a chance like that he he's put it away. It it was a good save. It was a good save because Gomez was blocking him and he saw the ball late and he did have to get down late and it was fired towards the corner but it's not an outstanding save, it's not an exceptional save, it's a save you would hope and expect your 70-odd million pound goalkeeper to be making, but it's saves like that that I suppose have cost us pre-Van Dijk, Mignolet or maybe in his earlier games, Karius wouldn't mm. be making saves like that, there would be and there would be reasons why was, the ball was seen late, the defender had blocked the view and trickling into the corner, he, he got down nice and early, he, he pushed the ball and he sort of did push it back into play, but Mm. Gomez was reacting to that and, and cleared the danger, and that's what you'd expect really as as an attacking, as sorry as a defending team for our qualities that we're hoping to push City all the way to win the league to not concede from chances like that. You would hope not to really, but as you said, we'll come on to the <laughs> to the goal <laughs> a bit later. But no saves like that just breed confidence for him that the crowd having him and the defence having him that. So it was, yeah, important to be making, I don't want to say routine saves, because I don't mean that quite does injustice, but run-of-the-mill type saves like that, you'd hope your keeper to be making, and and he did it. So, yeah, happy with it, really. Yeah, good stuff. And James, before we come to the the second goal, um, I just wanted to ask you about Wes Morgan, because from an outsider's perspective, he does see... Obviously, he played a big part in the title, the title win and stuff like that. But he seems to have maybe gone on, gone over the hill a smidge, and he, t- he might be turning into a bit of a weak link. I'm trying to be respectful here. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, I can tell you, Leicester City fans, some of them, especially the more vocal ones on social media, are less. Um, they are less respectful mm-hmm. to Leicester's title-winning captain. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, you're essentially you're right. Yeah, it's. He's um, uh, he's getting to the point now where his body can't can't keep up. Not in terms, maybe not in the game, but more especially in terms of recovery. His body just can't hack it as much anymore. Um, mm. I spoke to him. I spoke to him after the opening game at United and and said, "How's the body feeling?" He's like, "Well, I'm feeling one bit at the minute." I think Wes knows that he's going to be starting to play less 
of a prominent role in this team. He's just played so much football in his career. He's mm. made more than 650 um, professional appearances. He went through a period at Leicester where he had literally no break at all. He played, he was never present in one season, and he played two international competitions in the summer at the Gold Cup and the Copa America. Then he had another ever present season, then he played another Gold Cup, then he had another season where he didn't hardly miss the league game. He's played so much football, and it's and he's had very few injuries, really, and he's getting to that point now where the miles and the legs do eventually take their toll, and Wes is starting to go through that now. I think he's... A, I do think he's still a little bit... Fans think he he, he plays worse than he does. I, I mm. find that they have, it, they have in their mind that Morgan's passed it, and whatever happens, he's played rubbish, which I, I, I never really see it that way. But I, it's, it's certainly the case that he is going to be playing less of a role. They've just signed... Well, they signed two young centre-backs on deadline day, um, Michael Filip Benkovic, who's since been sent out on loan to Celtic. But then another one in um, Charles R. Soyuncu, who's a Turkey international, and I think... I'm glad you said that at, rather than me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he's the one they look at as potentially being one to, to take that position long-term. Obviously, they signed Johnny Evans in, in the summer... Mm. For about three and a half million quid. Just to he, cut in on that, if you don't mind, Jim, what, who, would, who would you rather be playing? Because from an opposition point of view, I, I would rather see Morgan line up than Johnny Evans. I yeah, think Johnny I Evans that. is a better defender and, and he well, signed reasonably that. early for you as well, didn't he? So it's not like he's he's joined on deadline day and he's given him a chance to get up to speed and be with the squad. He signed fairly early on in the window, so... Again, it's it seems like I'm glad Vardy wasn't playing. I was glad Johnny Evans isn't playing. To be honest, I think he's yeah. A I mean, good uh, defender. He, he signed, yeah, he signed very early. And of course, like Man City and Arsenal both had bids rejected for him over the past twelve months. And I think Leicester fans thought that too, and were expecting that too. He, to be fair to me, he got injured at the end of pre-season, um, oh. so missed the last couple of pre-season games. So wasn't right, completely right. back up to speed. Then he did come in and play. Uh, against Wolves and even though Leicester won he had a really really dodgy first half and a really and like, like looked properly dodgy like got turned far too quickly and we spoke to Evans afterwards and he admitted that he'd not had the greatest of games so I think on that showing where has got the edge over that so I think fans were a little bit fan, I think fans expect a little bit more from Evans didn't see it, and that's why Wes has come back in. Mm. I think in the, I think Wes hasn't really done enough to get himself dropped over the last previous performances, but I think maybe a little bit further down the line we will start to see Evans partner Maguire because he's better on the ball than than Morgan is, and or we might start to see Soyuncu come through, depending on he, he's suffering from injury at the minute as well. So I think Wells wait to see those two get back up to full speed um, and get probably more more minutes or more training under their legs. And then we might start to see Morgan play less of a part uh, as the season wears on. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's been, I think that's quite a good answer. I mean, I think that I'm going to say Turkish centre back. That, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say Turkish centre because he can, he's, he's uh, got a decent reputation only across Europe so yeah he's only 2022 20, and he's already yeah. played like, like 50 Bundesliga appearances um, to him so yeah he's hugely high risk I can't say I've seen much of him to be honest yeah. I'm only really going on reputation and and what people who have seen him play have told me mm. and he seems to f- very much fit into that strong dominant but also very good on the ball profile that that well like well, basically Maguire really that kind of um, that kind of profile so hopefully Leicester will get to see that a little bit further on down the line was the just to, just to finish up on this obviously Maguire was linked with a move away for like the last mm. month for the transfer window was there a worry that the Turkish centre-back was the replacement for Maguire no not really I mean having had experience of, of Leicester's owners or how Leicester work in the transfer window before when the owners say someone isn't for sale they mean they're not for sale and they'd already sold Riyadh at the start of the window so there was no way that they were going to let two of their star players go 
uh, in the window, especially when the owners have got ambitions of European football, but they're just not going to sell the best players. And they are rich enough owners not to really care about the difference between 50 million and 80 million pounds. It doesn't mean anything to them. Um, so we saw with Mares that he wanted to go well over a year ago, but they rejected bids in two separate transfer windows. And once they'd, they'd felt the time was right for him to go, he was causing too many. It was too much of a circus surrounding um, Mares, and the time was right to let him go. Mm. But as soon as they come out and say Maguire's not for sale, no matter how much Man United might want to sign Maguire, there was no way that Leicester's owners were going to let him go. So as soon as that. As soon as that was the message from the club, we knew from experience that not for sale means not for sale. Cool, cool. But uh, we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on from the centre back situation. We'll get back to some of the uh, the game events. And Mark, coming to you, um, the second goal from our from our point of view, um, we scored off a bloody corner. <laughs> um, I know. It's it's. I'm still in shock. I think it's I it's a rare occasion. We, we tend to score more off our position corners. Than off our own corners, <laughs> yeah. the way we counter and we break from from their corners. But yeah, it's it's one of them, isn't it? When you score from a corner, you're delighted because everybody thinks they're rubbish at set, at set pieces and corners. Oh, Every team thinks that why do we get a corner? What's the point? Nothing ever comes of it. We rarely beat the first man, and I say especially teams that play against us, it's more often than not they don't want a corner because they're scared of what we're going to hmm. do to them on the break. And if you concede from a corner, you're always disappointed, aren't you? It's it's work, basic work that you do at the training ground, week in, week out. Don't concede from set pieces. And I think it's been, it was sort of highlighted on Sky, wasn't it? The Madison sort of, because it was a double corner, wasn't it? The first corner mm. came in that was cleared. The second corner, and Bobby just got half a yard in front of Madison, lost his man, and it was almost a free header, wasn't it? And hopefully, it's Bobby's first of the season, it's... It's annoying that there's now an international break and he can't go straight on from that, but hopefully that then kicks him on for this season. But you summed it up. It's very rare Liverpool do score from set pieces and it, it was great to to nil up and going into half time, you're delighted. Especially Bobby scoring as well. I mean, if Van Dyke scored, I could kind of like accept not accept it, but I'd understand. But for me, yeah, it's of a card, it's as weird. You, you sort of expect that, don't you, to be Van Dyke or Gomez to be swapping mm. up with a header, but for me, no. But it's it's fine margins, isn't it? As I mm. said, it's he got half a yard in front of Madison. Madison temporarily lost his man, and if it's Maguire on him or Morgan, it probably doesn't lead to the goal. They're, they're probably more alert, more switched on, mm. and and better in the air. Than Madison, but then you can say, let's be kind about Liverpool, and Liverpool sorted that and put that in an area where they knew the striker would be able to take advantage of the ball. And let's give ourselves a bit of praise. We worked a corner well, and we got a goal. And first of many over the season, let's hope. Hopefully, but James, Hopefully. coming to you, um, have to talk about it. Well, let's not talk about the goal, but have set pieces oh. been a problem for you? throughout the season so far because I think one of our other podcasters uh, did point out the fact that they do they do concede a couple chances from uh, a good few chances from set pieces so has it been an issue for, for Leicester it was that it certainly was last season um the amount of times that Leicester would concede a goal and we'd all say oh here we go another set piece at one point Leicester were either top or joint top or second for most goals conceded from set pieces. Mm. This season, I wouldn't know the stats off my head this season, but it's felt like it's not been that much of a problem really this season. Um, But I guess we're not really that far down the line for it to be really a trend. Um, That was just, oh, that goal really annoyed me because Leicester was so... Leicester had... Come back in, like, they had the poor start. Liverpool had taken advantage, and Leicester had come back into the game and found their feet. They'd realised that Varley wasn't actually playing, so they couldn't just keep lumping it into the channels and counterattacking. That wasn't working, so they decided then to keep to pass through the through the middle, and with Madison there and uh, Madison linking up well, actually were causing a bit of was having a bit of joy. And I thought that Leicester probably edged it then for the, for the second half, the first half, and. Mm. I remember just saying at the time, just saying, just get to half time. You're playing well, just get to half time. And then 
then that happens. <laughs> then See, everyone's did... always disappointed to concede from a set pace. It's a corner, a, a free kick from a similar area. Yeah, the and just so close to half-time as well. You just when get rid of it. So well. That's all you want. Yeah, just, especially just when the it danger. Was... Get rid of the ball. Because if Leicester go into half-time then at 1-0, having probably edged the second half of the first half, you feel that Leicester... You've not, they've not got a lot of momentum, but they've got they've got a bit of it, and the and the the team talk can go well, and you can say, "Come on, boys, just stick at it. If we keep this, we're on, we're in the game." Just another goal, and we're back in this. And then talk about taking the wind out of both the team and the, and the fans' sails because the atmosphere in the ground was was getting really good, and it felt like Leicester was starting to hurt Liverpool a bit. And then just yeah, Madison. I mean, I don't know why Madison is marking for me now, but then. It just drifts off, and oh, I asked, asked Claude well after afterwards about it, and he said, "Look, he, he kind of said, well, Liverpool use their experience to to run the clock down and walk over and take it, and just take the time, and essentially time wasting it in, in a certain sense. But then in doing that, Leicester, the young player like Madison, just switches off and loses his runner, and at this level, if you switch off for a minute, you get punished, and then and that happened." I think the timing of the goals key as well, isn't it? So close yeah. to half time. I think if that's thirty-five to forty minutes gone, you have got a few minutes there because, as you say, the momentum was with you before that goal. You were certainly the more dominant team, mm. maybe not necessarily creating a lot of chances. Other yeah. than the save Allison made from Gray, but you were certainly on top of the game. Madison was running the show for midfield. Let's not talk about Henderson yet. Let's leave that. <laughs> Later, but I think that the timing of it just there was no chance for you to get back into it at all then, and and then the half time break, it's it's killed anything you'd built up really, hadn't it? Which was mm. the double whammy of a goal, and then half time being so quickly afterwards. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so if, if that doesn't go in and has to get get in at half time at one nil, well, can say, look, lads, we're only a goal a goal down, but we're well in this game here, and we've got the momentum, we've got the back, we've got the noise behind us. Let's hit them again, keep hitting them, and we're well in this. And then that just, I mean, they must have been so deflated going in at half-time because it just, yeah, like I said, took the wind out of everything. So we'll move on to the second half. And um, I'll come I'll come to you first, James, on this bit. But um, I think the commentator said he liked to be called Pappy Mendy, but Nepal, is it Nepalis Mendy? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, obviously, he was the original Kante replacement if I remember correctly but then he went on loan and what, what's, he, what's he done to come back into the reckoning uh, I mean um, we can tick off in cliche bingo that he is like a new signing mm-hmm. um, because he, he essentially is uh, now like he, he wasn't quite the Kante replacement because he, he'd technically been scouted before they signed mm. um, Kante and when when he came so when he came in He's a, he, he's like a sl- he's a slightly different player to the I'd say Wilfred indeed is probably more yeah, like absolutely. for like with uh, Kante in terms of his just winning tackles all over the pitch. But yeah, when Mendy came in and he was for about the space of two weeks Leicester's record signing and played one game I think and got he got injured in his home debut against Arsenal um, the season after the, the title win and. Never really came back from that. It's just an ankle injury. Had to have surgery. Came back, but wasn't really himself. And last season got sent out to Nice, where he'd played under Puel previously. And Puel recently has said that he watched him play when he was at Nice um, on his in, on that loan spell. And he he said that that's not that's not the Mendy that I know. That's not the that's not the Papi Mendy that was mm. my captain was my captain when I was at Nice. He looked like a completely different player. He's got through that season now. He came back in came back in this preseason, started a few games. Paul clearly rates him highly, and he has genuinely come back like a new sign. I think a lot when he when his name appeared on the team sheet to face Wolves in that first home game, Leicester fans were just rubbing their eyes because some of them had forgotten he was still here. Mm. And because there's a lot of people thinking they'll really probably get they're probably trying to get rid of him after a year abroad, and it not really worked out, and they cut their losses. But he's come back in. And I think in pretty much in every game he's played, he's been either the Leicester's either the man of the match for Leicester or in the top two or three. It just I wrote about him over the weekend. He just it, it just keep it, it just 
keeps things ticking over. It's like he's just got his mop out, and every time there's a little spillage or a little mess, he just toddles over with his mop and his brush and his bucket and just just sweeps it up. And it's just when he first played against, against well, alongside Ndidi, we thought, are they too similar? Are they too defensively minded? to be able to play together when you've got the likes of Vicente Abora or Adrian Silva, mm. a three-time Europa League champion and a European champion, to keep them out the side. But in actual fact, those two have formed such a formidable partnership. And Didi with the fact that he just wins everything. And Mendy, like I say, he just keeps things ticking over. He, just, he, he reads the game really well, breaks up play, takes the ball, passes it well, spreads it, keeps it ticking over. He's basically like, he's like the janitor of the team, isn't he? he? Just he just keeps things tidy, and he's been he's been an absolute revelation. It's an incredible turnaround in a career, and he's enjoying such a great renaissance under Puel. It's great to see. Mm, so it's definitely his spot to lose from now. From now. Oh yeah, big time, definitely. I mean, uh, it's it's funny really because you've got like I say, you've got e- European champions in that team, such such pedigree in Abor and Silver, and that you're being kept out by. A 21-year-old in Ndidi and, and some bloke that's hardly kicked a ball in the last, well, he did for Nice, but hardly kicked a ball in his football for the last two seasons. So, yeah, I mean, fans have been absolutely in, over the moon for him to come back and let's hope, let's hope he can remain injury-free and keep up the, the form he's showing because he's been excellent. Good stuff, good stuff. So, Mark, I'll come to you and the big talking point from... From Liverpool points of view, obviously Alisson's one of them, but the midfield seems to be the second point of view, and Henderson seems to be taking quite a lot of flack. But overall, I thought the midfield it, it didn't feel the same as the previous games. But just your thoughts on the midfield overall, and then if you want to focus on any of the three, I'd rather not. Um, <laughs> I think we we said earlier didn't we, there was only one change, but there was two changes really because by bringing Henderson in. Ginny had been playing as the six for the previous three games and he moved him away from the six and moved Henderson into the six and I hope it's a decision he doesn't repeat, to be honest. I thought Henderson was, he looked way off a pace, whether that's, it was his first start and he's still not fully up match fitness, not up to speed or whether I'm doing him a little bit of disservice and we should be heaping more praise on, on not just Madison, who I thought was outstanding throughout, but Mendy and Ndidi as well both played very, very well for Leicester and whether it's a bit of both, but no, Henderson was, he was off a pace, he was poor positionally, his passing wasn't up to standard, it was slow in transition and it just, if he'd have brought him in and played him more further advanced maybe, because I thought when Alden as well had had an ineffective game until... Mm until we made the substitution and he dropped back into the sixth role that he started the season. And whether it's a, a collection of things, whether it was Henderson going off and reverting to the midfield three that had started the three games, whether it was because it was later on in the game and Leicester had put an awful lot into the game and they were tiring. But other than the first 10 minutes when we started well, the last 20 minutes were, were our strongest of the game and that was without Henderson that was with the midfield three that had started previously in the roles that they'd stayed in it's to jump forward ever so slightly it's, it's the same when he makes a substitution late on and he takes Trent off for Matip and moves Gomez to right back it didn't cost us mm. but last season I remember I can't remember the game but that cost us a change like that gave away a free kick somebody put the free kick in and we conceded a goal I don't understand this one change but that one change leading to two or three changes positionally as well yeah I don't like it that just either. it didn't seem to make sense to me that when Aldum had started the season really well and that was his least effective game and it just it just seemed to bring it was almost like that would be you'd expect that performance the first game of the season where everybody's finding their feet again and fully understanding their roles it just seemed that nobody really understood what they were doing Henderson was putting defenders under unnecessary pressure with his passing and somebody else said I think it might have been Dave Hendrick and one of his he, he always seems to want the ball whereas it could bypass him and not make much difference it seems to add a pass for adding a pass's sake and then it gives oh. it gave Leicester a lift and, and they were onto him in a shot 
we we say that sort of there's there's triggers for the press. It seems to be the trigger for Leicester's press is when Henderson's got the ball, put him under pressure, and I know there was two or three more mistakes in the middle of today goal, but he played a shocking pass to Gomez. He got the ball back again. And then he played a shocking pass to Van Dijk to put him under pressure that eventually did lead to the goal. And I know there was errors before the goal went in, but you wouldn't have expected that if Ginny was there. He seems to play more on the half turn, whereas Henderson, it's his back to goal and he can't Mm. see anything around him other than to go back to where the ball came from. And it just seems to bring, put us under more pressure than we needed to be or we'd been in the three previous games. And, Maybe we're doing Leicester a bit of disservice and they need a bit more credit that their midfield was was stronger and better than I think West West Ham was shocking and they'd been shocking all season. <laughs> and, and Crystal Palace only really had a two man midfield and much as Brighton played well and put up a fight, there there wasn't really that force in the middle of the park. Leicester had three people in Madison, Mendy and Ndidi all working together, all tirelessly pressing and pushing in the same direction and, and so maybe we do need to give them a bit of credit but it was certainly the worst of the midfield three have performed all season so far and that was that was the only change really so it's it's a change that affected us badly really mm. well what do you what do you think the answer to, to this is to this is then do you think I think Gags put it put it in one of the WhatsApp groups um, that it should be Ginny or Henderson, they shouldn't really play together. I know we haven't got loads of midfield options because Ox is injured, Fabinho's getting his introduction period out the way, and Lallana is Lallana. But do you think they should avoid playing with each other as much as possible? Because, as you said, Ginny's just a completely different player when he's played further forward for some reason. He is, yeah. It's, he started the season very well. Again, I don't think anybody would have... Many certainly wouldn't have chose Ginny to start the season as our six. I think everybody would have sort mm. of gone with Fabino or Henderson because Henderson was playing that role last year. Other than the Rome, there was it the City away game where Ginny played the six because Henderson was suspended. It's not really a role he's played for us. I mean, he was signed for us as a as a ten, and he's even played wide forward before now. But Certainly, all the games previous to that he played as the most most advanced midfielder. I think most would have chose Fabino as the DM, Cater as the box to box, and then Ginny as the most advanced midfielder. But he started as a six. He started the season very well. He's just having that's that's the main difference for me. He seems so comfortable in possession when he gets it in those tight spaces, and we do like to play out from the back. He seems to be able to turn and pass it and move a ball forward a lot more. Whereas Henderson, it just seemed to go back to where it came from or back to either centre-back or straight back to Allison. He just doesn't seem as comfortable in possession. And and I know it's it's probably a, a useless analogy, but you wouldn't really want to bring Matip in and then put Gomez to right back. It would be, well, if Matip's starting, then rest Gomez. If he's playing well in that position, keep him in that position. It just seemed to bring disruption and disorientation to our midfield that, hadn't been there in the previous three games. I think certainly the first West Ham game, there was man of the match outs for all three of our midfielders. And they were they were all playing well and say that the main shout probably wouldn't have been to not make a change. It was working. If it ain't if it's working, don't try and fix it. Don't try and be too clever. It just seemed to be too much of a disruptive change, even if he'd brought Henderson in and, and kept Ginny as the sixth, but Maybe, yeah, Gags was right, it, it seems now, but it's either Ginny or Henderson until until Fabino's up to speed anyway. But it just, yeah, it brought chaos to the midfield, really, and put us under unnecessary pressure. Oh, I'm on mute. Um, <laughs> oopsie. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think you've covered that quite well, and we'll move, and we'll move on uh, from that. But we'll, we'll come to the James Madison chance, and... Um, Mark, I'll stick with you, but how how impressive was Joe Gomez in that in that instance? Uh, he was man of the match for me. For us, I think overall, man of the match, I would probably have swayed with Madison. I thought Madison had a very good game, but Gomez was certainly our best player on the day. It's, I think Van Dijk had a, a shaky game, but maybe that's a shaky game compared to Virgil van Dijk's high standards. If it was a, a normal centre-back, you you're probably not mentioning it. He's had a steady game, but Gomez was 
was everywhere. His reading of the game, his understanding, his he was moving the ball nicely out of the back. That block he got back and did was outstanding. And again, as we said in the first half, that chance from Gray that Allison saved, it was Gomez that reacted quickest to it and cleared the danger before another chance was done or a rebound was done. And again, considering three weeks ago, not many people would have picked him to start at centre-back. I don't know anybody now that would want him out of the team. He's made one hell of a claim for that jersey to be his now. And that's what it used to be in the old, go half back to the good old days with Liverpool. Yeah, you got a chance, you, the jersey was yours and you keep it. And and that's what he's done. I, would, I wouldn't want any changes to that back line at the moment. He's, he's certainly impressed me because I think at one point last year, there was a fight going on between him and Trent, but who would be right back? He was, he was performing well. And then Trent edged ahead of him and Trent kept the jersey at right back. And I think he's done that now as right centre-back. He's won the right to partner Virgil and long may it continue. And if he stays there for the season, we, we will have had a good season because there'll be no reason to change it, which means we're not conceding many. And if we're not conceding many with our front line, we'll be winning a, a lot, lot more games than we're not. Thoroughly impressed with him on Saturday. Outstanding performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can only echo what you said there. He's my man of the match as well. But James, coming to you, I think Madison's caught the eye of quite a lot of the neutral fans. I mean, d- d- does he justify it from, from a Leicester perspective? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, he's been... He was. I mentioned it on the on the preview podcast. He is exactly what Claude Puel was was lacking last season. What he wanted in the summer, and what he's now got in that player who, in this system, is this new. What I say, new Puel style of wanting more possession in order to stop them going sideways and looking really boring and 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 sending the fans to sleep. They need a player in that position who can drift into space, pick the ball up, turn, look to move it forward and create things. He tried everyone there last season. He tried Okazaki, he tried Gray, he tried Mares, he tried Diabate, he tried Inacho there and none of them did what he wanted them to do. Madison's come in and Leicester need a, a, someone to be able to take or at least share the creative burden left by Riyad Mahrez. Madison was the most creative player in the, in the championship last season. The question was always going to be whether he could make that step up to the Premier League. And on his first appearance at Old Trafford, he walked out into one of the most, one of the biggest, the biggest um, stadium in the Premier League. And he was swaggering around. He looked as though he was at home on the big stage and looks like he is or will will be a, a real star not only for Leicester but also England in the future he just provides that creative quality that Leicester have been lacking uh, in that position and yeah he he's been uh, he's been brilliant so far and i think he'll just get better and better and better yeah, very interesting. I mean, the, the couple of games I've seen, um, obviously the United one, he caught the he caught the eye quite a bit in that game. So I think it is fair. I was surprised he wasn't in the England squad for the uh, upcoming internationals. To be fair. Sorry, just to jump in again. I think it, it was probably just Twitter rumours, but I think we were half linked with him early on in the summer. Mm. I didn't see anything concrete. A good friend of mine's a Norwich fan, so I was asking him about him, and he was he was raving about him. He was. He was as gutted as we were when Suarez left, when he left Norwich, obviously, and understood why he was leaving, going to the Premier League. But he was mightily impressed. He's a lifelong Norwich fan. He was mightily impressed with him. I didn't know an awful lot about him until this season. But yeah, what a start he's made to this season. And he should definitely be in the England squad. They need a midfield player like that that's comfortable on the ball, can make things happen, can join the attack. Just a great all-round performance. And it wasn't a one-off. So the, the Leicester games I've watched this season, he's been spot on every game. Yeah, very, remember, very good um, player. I remember listening to, to the, the radio on the way on the way back from that from the, the World Cup semi-final. I was listening to Five Live and, and Chris Waddle was saying, oh, England need, England, what England lack, they need that, that creative 
that number ten, that that that, that Modric position, the, the the player that can pick the ball up and make things happen and and create from that central position. And I remember at the time thinking, well, Leicester just Leicester have just signed the person that that, that that they want to do that role, and he is that kind of position. He's that is that position that England don't really have. I know Dele Alli does it a little bit, but that that creative hub in that position. I mean, from a from a Leicester fans' perspective, and also but also England fans' perspective, I'd like to see, I'd love to see Madison get the chance do what he does for Leicester or, or has done for Norwich and see if he can do it for England because I think that's that's the, the position where they're, they're lacking the most and hopefully Madison can do that in the future. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I've just I've just uh, spotted the time and I've realised we're coming up to an hour so we're going to have to we're going to have to get to the the funniest part of the uh, pod <laughs> yeah. uh, shall we say and then we might have to skip a few things but um I'll start with the Leicester perspective, and um, James, from your point of view, I mean, Ine and Nacho had done well, uh, did well, uh, I think some people uh, may have thought it was a foul, but I think you can, uh, I don't really care, <laughs> 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 when you're that stupid in that situation, you can foul them if you want, um, and then Gazelle obviously scores what basically a tap-in, but I think Ine and Nacho, when he was at Man City, one of his things was work rate that was labelled at him for, for, for being sold, I mean... In, has that improved over his time at Leicester, or is it, is it just thought, well, Alisson like, likes to have a piss about on the ball, I'll, I'll give him a press, but what, what were your thoughts on your, the goal from your point of view? Well, other than it being completely hilarious, and yeah. especially how it, it especially how it involved what was £135 million worth of players, with the with the really back, with the poor back pass, and then yeah. Alisson just, yeah, just as bad I would say, arsing about um, yeah, I mean that was just that was hilarious. But I think it it was almost Vardy esque the way that that Ian actually pressed him. And I don't know. Puel was asked in his in his post match press conference. He was asked, "Was that a plan? Like, had he seen? Had they had they looked at Alice's performance against Brighton and targeted that?" And Puel kind of shrugged it off and said, "Maybe yes, maybe no." But it looked like it because Ian actually, you see, you, you don't really associate him with that kind of play. You would associate it with Vardy, because Vardy does it all the mm. time. Vardy, Vardy will always press the goalkeeper when he's on the ball. But see, Inacho do it was was surprising, but it was also promising, especially if we're going to chuck that question back to earlier in the podcast where you asked, can Inacho be the long-term Vardy mm. replacement? Well, if he does that kind of stuff, then yeah, he can, because that's, that's what Vardy does. That's the... The, the, the press, the harassing, the um, putting people under pressure that Ian actually probably hasn't really done much of at the start of his Leicester career, but did at the weekend and obviously re- reaped his benefits. But Ian actually, on, on a whole, he struggled last season because when he, he arrived, he arrived with a lot of hype because he boasted, what was it, one of that, was it the best goal-to-minutes ratio. Yeah, yeah, I remember. But, I mean, it, it does help when you're coming off the bench from Man City and you've got David Silver and Kevin De Bruyne putting it on a plate for you. That that helps. And the question was always going to be how he would adapt to a more mid-table, high-mid-table um, set of players. Now, he, he injured his foot in the last pre-season friendly at the, end of last, at, the end, at the start of last season. And that really curtailed his the start to his career at Leicester and struggled to get up to speed for the first half of the season, finished the season really well, scored in the last two games against Arsenal, against Tottenham, and carried that through into pre-season after the World Cup with four goals in his last three appearances. So the hope was there that he could kick on. Um, Like I said earlier, he hasn't quite done that so far this season, but the way that he he pressed and harassed Alisson might give... Might give, should give him some confidence, and should also maybe give Leicester a bit of a boost uh, for for his potential form looking forward. Yeah, fair dues. And now I've got to cover the painful bit. Um, Mark, what the hell was Allison doing? <laughs> it, it was shocking, wasn't it? Let's be honest. It was. I don't even know what he was trying to do. People have said he was trying to do a close turn. It's 
he just seemed one. to completely yeah he just seemed to completely lose lose his footing lose his awareness it was I mean yeah let's Henderson played a bad one to Van Dijk and Van Dijk played a very poor back pass to him but he still had he had ample time and opportunity to get rid of the ball didn't he and I think I've seen or read somewhere that Gomez should have moved towards the edge of the box more to give him an angle to pass the ball but there's a time and a place isn't there and I think Simon Brundish put out a very good tweet you can't you can't lord the chip last week and love that and then lose your head over what he did this week. But I think there's it goes a bit further than that, doesn't it? There's a time and a place and I think there's mm. still there's still a time where you just hoof it and get rid just of it. Just stick it. Just stick yeah. it into touch if you need to. You you tune it up and say, I love that chip last week and, and that's the keeper that we've signed and I think over the course of the season he'll he'll earn us more than he'll cost us. But again you hope it's it's out the way now. I think we all knew one was coming, he was gonna make a bit of a lapse, should we say, with with the way he plays, and it didn't cost us. We still got the win, and I'd rather him do it that than next week, next time we play Tottenham, and it's nil nil, mm. and him give Kane a, a chance like that. So, in, in terms of timing, it was probably, I wouldn't say ideal because <laughs> you don't want it to happen, and it put us under pressure when we we didn't need to be a two nil up. But yeah, it was shocking. There's a time and a place. Time to. I wouldn't even say play the full, but to, to showcase your talent and and be good and confident on the ball, which he clearly is, but then there's still a time where you just get rid of it. Just put your foot through it, put it up front and, and get rid of it. And, and that was the time to be doing that. And But he, he did a similar one against Brighton, didn't he? And he, he had to slide, not the, the chip mm. one, when he yeah, was yeah. in his box and he had to slide and tackle in and got his foot. And got rid of it. So people have said that he'll learn from it and he won't be. He didn't learn from that one at Brighton where he did get away with it this week. He didn't get away with it. But the the pleasing aspect, if you like, of the whole sorry episode was how quickly he reacted to it. And I think he sort of collided with with the actual on his way back to goal. But he was very close to saving it. He wasn't mm. a million miles away at all. So it's, I suppose if you're looking for a silver lining in the cloud that his recovery was was very quick maybe not necessarily effective because he didn't make it back in time but he was quick to react to the mistake shall we say so if we're looking and looking very very hard don't get me wrong but looking for a positive I suppose that's that's the one aspect how quick he did react to it but no a complete shambles from from start to finish yeah the a one good thing I can think what happened next, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think the one good thing I, I can think of is I'm watching Sky Sports News and I, I'm seeing Petter check on my screen. At least he's not doing stuff like that. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna, that's the positive I'm going to finish with. I, I did have a couple more topics, but I realise we're over the hour now. So just to, just to, to breeze over them, I thought Van Dijk was a, probably one of his sloppiest games for us. And I thought from our point of view, it was quite... Um, impressive how we kind of shut the game out after after the screw up and, and we've mentioned the midfield tweaking and, and stuff there um, that probably led to that and, and Shakiri came on and did very well but um, we'll we'll finish up there and I'll I'll come to plugs I mean Mark do you want to give out your Twitter and any podcast you've been on recently or planning to be on yes so I'm at Harry Welshy on Twitter uh, the last podcast I did I did the preview show for the Crystal Palace game, and now I've obviously done this one. The, mm. the main thing to plug, I think, is AI Pro. It's fantastic, well worth the money. We spoke earlier, I think, before we went on air, how many podcasts are on there. And the latest one, The King and AI, is it's worth your money alone for that. That's a fantastic show, brilliantly put together. Eddie's a great host, and Paul and Kenny, you could just listen to them for hours, the way they talk, so everybody should... Give the free trial a go, and then should definitely subscribe and sign up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And James, do you want to give out your Twitter and anything you're you're working on? Yes, I'm um, I'm at the sharp end on Twitter um, with an extra e as a nice little pun on the name. Uh, I'm on that. That's my name on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of those social media accounts. And I'm on another podcast um, most well every week which is for the Leicester Mercury, which is the newspaper I write for, 
that is um, called Dilly Ding Dilly Dong in homage to uh, <laughs> Claudio Ranieri. Uh, so check that out. Check that on um, iTunes or Acast or however you get your podcasts. And then you can also read me and also my, my colleagues on the um, in the Leicester Mercury or on the Leicester Mercury's website. Um, um, we'll we obviously cover Leicester City day in day out, week in week out, season after season. Um, so you can find me and my colleagues um, on there. Good stuff, good stuff, and uh, thanks for joining me, both of yous, and thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Let's get ready to rumble. Sports Social Podcast Network.